We're going to be talking about prayer this morning. Um, this is something I have been, there's been some things in my life where it's almost like God highlights them to me for a season. I would say last year, 2018, was like a, a year of, of, of worship for me, really learning and seeking God and what worship is. And it was a couple months ago we went to that uh, Confluence conference uh, in Missouri, and, and, and uh, one of the main speakers, Terry Virgo, he, he said this one statement that has stuck with me ever since, and he said, prayer is where the battle is won and lost. And that has stuck with me for since that day. And since that day, I have done everything I can to essentially give myself to what prayer actually looks like biblically and with God. And uh, I cannot promise I will not get emotional this morning. Um, God has revealed some things to me in, in, in my beautiful KC that um, just, I think God's calling me to preach from a very uh, transparent place this morning. And so I will do my best to keep it together. Amen? Let's read. If you could go to uh, Acts chapter 12. We'll start in verse 1 and we'll read to uh, uh, verse 15. And it says, About that time, Herod, the king, laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was the, during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people, essentially to kill him in the same way that he killed James. So Peter was kept in prison. But I want to highlight, but earnest prayer, fervent, intentional prayer was made for him to God by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke up, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And Peter did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and he did not know that what was being done by, him, by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along the street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent this angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people, on uh, all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked on the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her, she did not, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continue, continued to knock, and when they had opened it, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, tell these things to James, to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Let's just pray. Father, I just ask this morning you would help me, your son, just a simple child, a servant of you, clearly articulate what it means to stand in the gap in prayer. 
what this battle of prayer actually looks like and what it means to come humbly before your throne on the ha- behalf of ourselves, on behalf of those who do not know you. And Lord, we just ask that all our hearts would be ready and responsive to what it is you want to do in this place. For we feel your presence and we know it's intentional. And we just praise you for being here and thanking you, Lord, and that you would work all things to your glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. amen. Some of you jumped the gun on me. I heard you say amen before I said in Jesus' name. <laughs> I got to get that in there. Um, my wife almost went to prison. Icebreaker check. Uh, many years ago, my wife got into uh, an accident. And I'm about to get into an accident tonight because I don't think she's telling me uh, that I don't think I told her how to tell the story. Uh, many years ago, she got into an accident over in Moline and she had uh, rear ended uh, an, older, an older lady. And we didn't think it was that big of a deal, and, you know, she, they, she didn't, like, flee the scene or anything like that. The, the police showed up, and every, all the appropriate things that happen in an accident happen. Get insurance, phone numbers, police come. You figure all those things out. Weeks, months pass by, and my wife's like, man, I, I never got a, a, a ticket, or I, I don't know where that is sitting right now. And so one day she comes home, and she's on the phone. I believe if I remember this correctly. This is our first year of marriage. And she looks, she's on the phone, and you can tell she's just like, her countenance is scared and hopeless. And I'm kind of like, okay, just kind of waiting for how things are going to go. And she gets off the phone, and she goes, there's a warrant out for my arrest. <laughs> and now as a husband, you know, you, you think you know someone when you, when you get married. <laughs> and I remember, I remember the first thought that came to me. Her entire Netflix queue popped into my head. And it was nothing but like, how to make a murder. How to get away with murder. (laughs) CSI murders. You know, like just everything murder. And I'm like, oh no. I married a silent assassin. She's almost like that Luxo bear from uh, Pixar. Just cute and cuddly on the outside, but on the inside... Son of Satan walking around in my house. <laughs> so anyway, we spent, she, she had a worn out for arrest because there was something sent to our house and, and, and it never got to us, never got to us uh, kind of a thing. And then so, uh, so we spent the next literally weeks trying to keep my wife out of prison. I remember day and night thinking, man, I hope I don't come home from work and my wife isn't there. And I remember just praying to God, like, God, keep her out of prison. Like, you know, it's the weirdest thing to everything. And, 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 like if, and Lord, if she somehow stumbles into prison, hopefully she memorized my number because I don't think they're going to let her use her iPhone in prison. I'm saying prison. It's like jail, isn't it? I don't, I've never, if you can't tell by my outfit and overall demeanor, I've never been to prison. <laughs> I'm a little naive in this. But I remember just being so worried for her and we spent what weeks and fortunately we had a friend who helped us get you know in in contact with a lawyer and all that sort of stuff we got all that figured out but I remember it was weeks of trying to intentionally pray like you know she would have gotten pulled over or something like that we were just in 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 constant panic and worry and to give some context to this uh chapter 12 of Acts is that's where the church is essentially standing on behalf of Peter But even more so, what they had just witnessed was James, who is a father of the faith. He's one of the 12 disciples that walked and was taught and lived and breathed and ate with Jesus. 
was sent to prison essentially for preaching the gospel. And then some believe he was beheaded essentially just to appease the Jews at this point. And then now you have Peter in, in Acts chapter 12 who is sitting in what we believe is the exact same prison, potentially the exact same holding cell that James was in right before he's murdered. And I by no means wish to make this more grim than necessary, but I mean, it's easy to sort of like, these are some people, some guy, just some, some superheroes named James, Peter, John, Mark, Matthew. But these are real people, real men. These are real leaders of the church. And now imagine me. I go to prison, and then I get killed for preaching the gospel. And days, weeks, months later, Pastor Dan is sitting in that same jail cell. I, I highly, I can see it now. I think, Jay, I think Dan would still have the time of his life in that prison cell. <laughs> Me, I'd be like, oh my gosh, it's dirty in here. Like, <laughs> when's the last time they cleaned this? Dan would be like, hey. <laughs> Just having the time of his life. I, I, I mean that in all love. Dan has time of his life wherever he's going. I envy that about them. But if you can imagine with me this church, they're standing there in the gap between believing and potentially praying and interceding on behalf of James who has just been killed. And they have another father of the faith standing and facing the exact same potential circumstance. But I love it says in verse 5 that fervent Prayer was made for him by the church. And I want to talk to you this morning about prayer and what we do. And I love that Jen used this, the illustration of losing a child. Me and my wife, fortunately, we have not had to deal with that sort of issue yet. Our, you know, we were one shot, one, you know, baby. <laughs> Sorry. I know. <laughs> there was more than one shot. Um <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I, I can't help it sometimes. <laughs> it's the marital bed. Get off my back. I'm sweating <laughs> profusely right now. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. Amen. Yes. If you say amen at the end of it, it's sanctified. Whatever statement is you say. <laughs> so you have the church and they're praying. And, and what I wanted to sort of highlight in, in, in myself and in for us is as we're looking at this story where they have just lost someone and they're facing the exact same circumstance, that there is something about a person who chooses to stand and commit to prayer before God. Because while answers to prayer reveal who God is, reveal his nature, reveal his heart, it is the lack of answers that reveal us. Did you hear what I said there? It is the answers of God in prayer that reveal who he is. But it is the lack of answers. It is when nothing good has happened yet. It is when you have not been given a reason to believe he's going to intercede. Those moments reveal me. Reveal my character. Reveal my maturity. Reveal what it is I'm actually after. I myself, I have a circumstance in my life. It's easy to stand up here as a pastor and tell you how to pray for people and tell you how to believe for people. By the way, this is weird. So if I, if I neglect you guys, I'm sorry. Um, but I myself, I, I'll just say, I'm going to say it as carefully as I can just because I don't want to harm anyone. 
I, it dawned on me, I'm three and a half years of a circumstance of a, a few people who are, who are incredibly, incredibly close to me, who have written me off as dead. And I remember sitting with our, we were sitting with our Casey on Thursday, and we were talking about, and I was divulging to them with them how I feel about it. And, and it hit me over, as we were talking about and everything, it's so easy when things don't go your way, or God doesn't answer, it seems like he's distant or complacent or apathetic towards your circumstance, for you then to take on a place of apathy. And you begin to tell yourself, this doesn't hurt me anymore. It's okay. I've let go of this. This is nothing I need to worry about anymore. It's okay. You know, it's going to be fine. You don't need them. You don't need this. But then all of a sudden, what really happens is we do this thing where we begin to just create this callus around our heart so that we don't have to feel the weight of pain, so that we no longer have to think about it. Therefore, we no longer have to, we no longer have to believe God for more. In this church, we get to see how, what kingdom living is actually like in this circumstance. And what I love about this in this particular situation, three chapters before this, the Apostle Paul has just been converted. He has this amazing experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he has, he's, been, he's been blind for three days, and he's been brought in by the church. And if you can imagine with me, he's in the midst of this church, and it says that they're praying fervently for Peter, even though they've just suffered great loss, even though there might have been no reason to believe God's going to answer, even though it might seem hopeless and that nothing or no one's going to change. And you have Paul, who has now just been converted, witnessing this people praying on behalf of not only Peter, but for the entire circumstance. And I wonder if there's any clues, any indications of, of Paul's writings that would give us insight to an actual nature of prayer. I think there is in 1 Timothy chapter 2. If you would like to turn there, go ahead. It's, it's something interesting with, with, with Paul. He, you always see him address two things in people. That is your identity in Christ who he is, what he's done, what he's purchased for you. And secondly, he always seems to hit on prayer or intimacy or going to God. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, it says, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Now notice... Chapter 2, or verse 2, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead to a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. First and foremost, verse 1, I want to highlight, there's four situations, four types of prayer which Paul says, these are the kinds of prayers I want you to pray. That is, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving. Complaining. Rallying up the score. Making it you versus them in God's eyes. There is nothing in there as far as us praying at people and wanting God to hurt them or harm them or pull away from them. We have to understand, as we have begun this life of, with Christ, we are to reflect his nature. How many of you are thankful Jesus isn't before the Father rallying the score against you? What does it say in Romans chapter 8, verse 34? For it is Jesus who is interceding on our behalf. 
It is Jesus who's interesting, not only interceding, but who was raised again. I, I, I don't know, but I feel like Paul wrote that to remind us he rose again. So that means you rose again. So that means keeping the score, keeping the tally, trying to at, uh, attempt to harm people and complain against people before God. That's no longer your nature. That's no longer who you are. But you make supplications. You make intercessions. You give thanks for who people are. And you have this particular story in Acts chapter 12 where I almost wonder, did they only pray for Peter? Or did they pray for Herod as well? And I, I just began to think, you know, a lot of times we look at circumstances like, well, let's just, let's just hope Herod falls. There's a story I heard of, I, I believe it was a, a small country in Africa where they began to believe um, their new elected president was uh, the Antichrist. And so... Is that my baby? Yeah. <laughs> uh, stop it. Uh, <laughs> you're embarrassing me. Uh, I'm kidding. It really got dark. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I uh, No, this, this, this small country began to believe that their, their, their new leader was the Antichrist. So they, as a church, as a corporate church, and they linked with many churches, began to they say, hey, we're not going to pray for this guy. Because we believe he is the Antichrist, and we believe that God is going to destroy him. This is a more present-day scenario. And what happened? This man began to make decisions that was very anti-Christ, very anti-Christian. And what happened in the churches, the churches, they began to rise up and say, hey, we were right. And what tends to happen in life is some of us are blessed with the gift of discernment. We see something happening in someone's life, and we sit there and say, that's going to lead to destruction. That's going to lead to pain. All the while, we never take a moment to get before God and intercede on their behalf. There's this thing that Paul says in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2. He says, make prayer and supplication for all people especially those who are your enemies, especially those who are your kings, who at this time were men who were very anti-Christ, anti-Christian. They were in every way, shape, or form. They were cutting off the heads. They were burning believers, brothers, sisters, fathers at the stake. But he says, make supplication and intercession for these people because if you won't, who will? It's an incredibly different, difficult thing to pray for someone who hates you. It's an incredibly difficult thing to pray for someone who it feels as though they have robbed you of so much. It's an incredibly difficult thing when I am now looking at a daughter and I'm sitting there thinking, I don't know how to navigate this for you on your behalf, but I did not choose this for you. It is easy to stand before God and say, God, I want you to fix them. I want you to help them figure this out. I'm not saying that's not valid. But even more so, what does it look like to hold on to the heart of God on behalf of a person and not let go until something changes? Days, weeks, months, years. What does it look like? As Paul says, I want you to pray so that your life will be filled with peace and will have a quiet life. I was talking to someone uh, last week, and 
I was, I was stressed out of my mind, as it seems like I always am. I don't know. Um, and they're like, hey, how are you doing? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. And they're like, what do you mean? And it, just to sort of give you some transparency, I had been on the phone with a few different people, and I had actually just come out of a meeting, and there was just all this drama going on in my life. And I looked to them, and I said, I don't know because there's all of this stuff going on. But me and my wife and my child were good. And it hit me so hard in that moment that there's actually a way to, there's a reason why he wants you to live a peaceful and quiet life. There's actually a reason why he wants you to get before him. It's so that you can bring others who are not living that peace-filled life into it with you. How messed up would it be if I'm attempting to help everyone else on things and what's going on with them? Meanwhile, my house is chaotic. This is not in my notes. I feel like this is for somebody. What you create in the home in intimacy with God and with your spouse and with your children is the only thing you can offer those outside of your home. And I don't say that easy. I say that as a man who intentionally closes the door just about every single day and says, Jesus, I'm not seeing my wife the way she deserves. I'm not treating my daughter with the attention she deserves. I'm counting scores again. I'm in unforgiveness again. I don't believe the best about me like you do. I don't see that I'm a child anymore, but I just need you to utter a single word on my behalf so that I can open that door and be Jesus to my family and to people who need me. It's the book of James that says that the prayer of a righteous person, a man or a woman, has power as it is working. Power as it is working. Not as it has worked, not as it did in the in, in Sunday morning meeting, but as it is working, is, it is continuous, it is, part, it is participatory. It is, yes, it is about that, what is that 15 minutes or that hour you give in the morning to God, but it is what do you do throughout the day? It's, 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 for me, it's been every single thing that begins to come my way, whether it's a person or a circumstance I can't help or, or a problem I don't have an answer to, it's I turn to him in the moment rather than as a last resort. Your prayers, your supplications, your thanksgiving on behalf of your enemy has power as it is working. I began to really divulge, what, what, what in the world does this mean? What does this look like? What does it mean to, 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 to have your prayers have power? And I love the Old Testament because it, it gives us so many unique stories, essentially, on how like, the spiritual realm works. Anytime you see a war or, or, or a circumstance with governments and, and, and all that, you, it's essentially God saying, hey, wink, wink, this is how it kind of works in the spiritual realm. And I, I love stories. If you can't tell, I, I, I think... And I, and, I, and, I, and I articulate in stories. Me and my wife were going through all of, well, me, I'm making her go through all the Pixar movies together. Because I love, they are the best storytellers on the planet. And when, here's the thing, when you're a parent, those aren't fun movies anymore. 
Because everybody, like, everybody has suffered horrible loss everywhere. Anyway, sorry, that has nothing to do with the sermon. Uh, <laughs> I want to go to the book of Daniel. And we see this amazing story with Daniel. And it's actually in Daniel chapter 9. And it's, some of it's going to be up there, and I'm just going to do my best to articulate and uh, summarize the story. You have Daniel, who he's actually reading the book of Jeremiah in this moment. And he's reading from Jeremiah, and it says that there's a prophecy that the nation of Israel is going to be held in captivity for 70 years. And they're going to be held in, ca- in captivity because of something they were unrepentant for. And Daniel, he's reading this. He's 80 years old, I believe, at this point. To read this, and he starts to almost like, you know, do the math. Okay, what's going on? Where am I at in this scenario? We're obviously in captivity right now. You know, how many years is it happening? And, and he begins to realize the 70-year mark is about to come up. Now, there's something interesting about that moment. And when this church loses James and is about to lose Peter, there's something we tend to do as a community. We either remain offended at God because he didn't answer, or we use the Bible to come up with spiritual answers for why we suffered loss. And there's something beautiful about prayer that remains in the tension of who God is as a sovereign God and who we are as responsible children bearing his image and his name. And what I love that Daniel didn't do, he didn't stop and say, oh, okay, it's about time. I'm just going to sit back and I'm just going to wait for God to work this all out. No, 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 no. He began to look around at his community, his family, people he knew, the entire nation, began to realize they're still not repentant of what got them here in the first place. So what does Daniel do? He begins to cry out to God, begins to pray. He begins to cry out to me. He says even fast. And I don't know, but you get the sense as you're going through 9 and in chapter 10, it's been hours, days. And eventually he gets to three weeks with nothing having happened yet. And he's still praying. He's still petitioning. He's still offering supplication and intercession on behalf of his nation. And then three weeks, now three weeks later, I give up on a package after five days. Amazon Prime has ruined us, is all I have to say. I'm the most impatient person because of Amazon Prime. Um, Anyway, three weeks, and then all of a sudden he's confronted with an angel. And this angel has a rather peculiar message. First things first, he says to him, Oh, Daniel, man who is greatly loved. I don't know about you, but I know in the moments when I'm believing God for something for days, for weeks, for months, for years, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's reconciliation in your family, maybe it's a job, maybe it's that you wouldn't be manipulated and taken advantage of anymore, whatever it may be, you're believing God for something, but then it hasn't happened, it doesn't seem like he's answering, it seems that God is best apathetic towards your need. What's the first thought that comes in your mind? For me, I have two. It's either A... God doesn't hear my prayers. Or B, he doesn't love me enough to answer. And I love that the first thing this angel says is, oh, Daniel, 
man who was greatly loved. It's almost as if to say, I know it took some time, but I'm about to give you the reason why. But before we ever even get there, you need to know one thing. You are greatly loved. Not just loved, but greatly loved. And I love in this message, it's essentially the gospel message. It's John 3.16 in the book of Daniel. For God so loved the world that he gave, that he interrupted, that he did something, that he responded, that he gave an answer, that he came down in a message known as the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, oh, Daniel, man who was greatly loved. For I was sent to you 21 days ago, the moment you began to pray. But I was caught up with the prince of Persia. Now, there is a real Persia at this time, but what is essentially being spoken of is, is a principality or, or, or a leader in, a, in the spiritual realm that was actually hindering Daniel's prayer to being answered. Now, no, no, I by no means wish to make the devil more powerful than he is. That's not my intention. I, I, I think, I think if, if, if it's God versus the devil, God wins without batting an eye. I, I'm not saying that. But we're clearly given a depiction that there is such a thing as spiritual warfare. Here's the thing. Any demon of hell or Satan himself, they are nothing more than a pawn in his purpose. But sometimes in the battle of prayer, in the battle over your life, the purpose is to mature you. Way more than this is to give you what you want. Do you hear what I'm saying there? But he says, Daniel, I was sent to you 21 days ago, but I was held up by the prince of Persia. And then the archangel Gabriel came and he helped me in my fight so that I could be free and get to you. The writer almost implies the message might not have gotten there. The writer almost implies you and who you are before God play a part in watching heavenly conflict happen. I, by all means, know that God is sovereign. I affirm that. But I also believe there is a human responsibility. I do not hold that we are just predestined to whatever God wants and then we write off every bad circumstance as God's will but there is clearly a depiction in the book of Daniel that when you get before God and you pray and you intercede and you come to that place of thanksgiving for who he is and what he you know he's created you and the people around you for he goes into action he responds he does something and if you'll just hang on long enough, sometimes days, sometimes weeks, sometimes months. For me right now, it's years. One day, you'll watch God answer and he'll remind you, you are greatly loved. And the absence of the answer wasn't because I didn't love you. It's because I was doing something so much more that you cannot think or ask or imagine. Never, ever confuse the absence of an answer with absence of his love. I had the worship team come up. 
you know, when I started this, you know, you always think you kind of know where things are going. And the, 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 the driving force for this entire sermon was just that word. The prayer is where the battle is won and lost. Yes, it's the answer. Yes, it's what God can do for you. Yes, it's, it's seeing God supernaturally intervene. But more than anything, the battle that is being fought over your life, despite anything he answers or doesn't answer, is to attempt to get you to believe he doesn't love you. That is the great message and assignment of the enemy. Because if I don't believe God loves me, I'll never approach him. I'll never go to him. I'll never ask him to intercede. Because I'll believe that the conditions of which he intercedes is something other than love. Does that make sense? Would you all stand with me? I just want to take a moment. I just want to ask, go into a song for a, a minute or so. And I just want you to get before God. This is not something I can do for you. This is not something I can articulate to you. This is not something I can impart to you. But only you can go on behalf of God for yourself or for a circumstance in which you have yet to see him answer. Only you can go to him in the hopes of who he is being proven true, not just by an answer, but by his spirit, his love, his grace coming upon you and reminding you, oh son, oh daughter, you're greatly loved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. And we just lift you up as King of kings and Lord of lords. We lift you up as the hound of heaven, the true lover of our souls the truly very best thing for us. We may, we may think it's that vice that's going to answer. We may think it's that person. We may think it's that answer to prayer. But more than anything, it's going to be you and, your, and us knowing and living from being a son, a daughter, a child who is greatly loved that is going to change us and mark us forever. And Lord, we just help us let go of thinking we do it. Help us let go of any religion. Help us get back to being just a child loved by you. Help us fight for it. Help us to battle for it. Help us to intercede for, for others. Lord Jesus, we just lift you up and we just ask that you would move in this moment. And do not let us walk away from this time without hearing and knowing and be affirmed that we are greatly loved. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. You are the word at the beginning. Thanks again for listening to our podcast and this week's message. Again, if you'd like to find out more about our church and attending a live service, you can find us online at www.rockchurchqc.com, as well as on Facebook at Rock Church of the Quad Cities and on YouTube. Just search Rock Church QC and you'll be able to access our past sermons. As, and when you subscribe, you'll be notified when we go live for our weekly services. Until next time, have a great day and God bless.